Well, hello again, uh, and welcome to episode 11 of the Post-Concussion Syndrome Awareness Podcast. My name's David, and as always, as you might know by now, if you've, if you've listened to one or two episodes, um, we're going to discuss oh, all different kinds of things. Um, it's always good to always give a disclaimer in this day and age, uh, and the only real disclaimer I want to give is more of a spiritual one, is to say, well, don't believe necessarily anything that I say, because I could be a complete liar in this day and age. People getting called out left, right and centre for even saying the most basic things. I could be a complete fool or an idiot telling you anything. So please, 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 double check, right? Use your own common sense. Use your own powers of research and study and everything else. And if I say something, if I or, or a guest of mine or an interviewer might say, well, this works, that works, that worked for me, this worked for me, and so on, then we'll, you know, have a little, you know, a lot of, of time to look into it. You know, nothing we say we recommend. We don't recommend anything for anybody individually. And yeah, because before all the, the kind of trolls and shills catch up with us, when this gets more popular, you're going to find that. And uh, so we don't recommend anything. Anything that's given is evidence, well, from our own our own experience. It's not evidence from a scientific background or legal or anything else. So anything I say or anybody else says, yeah, just look into it yourself and ask your physician, ask your specialist, or ask your holistic practitioner, or somebody who's, who's really, really uh, uh, down with all this stuff. Um, and if you don't have access to any of those people, as many of us don't, like I never did, then um, be very discerning. Ask the right questions, do right research, and before you spend your own time and money looking at something, then, uh, yeah, take, take a great deal of care. And uh, I, we're always here, I'm always here, if you have any questions. Right, so tonight and today, um, the main subject is regarding uh, emotional grief and disassociation and anguish that come from post-concussion syndrome. Also possibly we touch on um, depression and anxiety and uh, even post-traumatic stress. So this is a real, sounds like a real cheerful episode, uh, but... Basically, these are things that if you've had uh, a concussion and not recovered from it within two or three months, and these are things that are, are very real and very true that you're going to have to deal with. And so, as you will know by now, if you listen to many of the podcasts, you'll know that we're not into mincing words, not into uh, kind of dressing things up. Um, we don't do fairies and unicorns and rainbows and so on. Uh, because in order to be balanced, you have to be able to look at the positive and the negative. Uh, and if you can only uh, stand to look at positive things and talk about positive things, then you must be very unbalanced. And that is actually a negative. So un unwittingly, you, you can kind of cast yourself into a place where saying, oh, I'm never going to look at anything, you know, I'm not going to discuss anything difficult. Um, you actually become kind of like, you know, positively, negatively unbalanced. So keep with us. And stick with us through this, right? Even if your kind of conscious mind might be kicking at you and saying, well, you know, I don't like the sound of this. He's talking nonsense. So where do we start right at the beginning? On day one of a concussion, there's an epic change. There's a distinct 
and very finite change in the person's consciousness. So this happens from uh, a shock, an accident, a fall, a crash, a whiplash, a uh, fall from a horse, uh, all, all kinds of things. It can be, you know, kind of cracking your head on the pavement. There could be many, many things. And how you've got to go about uh, dealing with this is one, literally, from the start, it's one minute at a time, then one hour at a time. And as you get further and further out, days out, it's a day at a time. Uh, and then, you know, after that, several days at a time. And eventually a week or a month at a time. And then at some point you're going to get to the, the area where you feel like, well, actually, um, I've lost track of time. When you get to that point, I feel that losing track of time is when the point of uh, post-concussion syndrome grief or brain injury grief kicks in and then starts to uh, delineate you from your normal life. So maybe from your family, your career, your profession, your uh, hobbies and interests, your friends and so on. And at that point, uh, that grief process is a little bit different well, quite different to losing a loved one. As we've all known, losing a loved one is something that happens very swiftly and suddenly and, and all, all of a sudden you can be thrust into grief or it can take days or weeks or even months to come on. And in rare cases, it, it, that loss of a loved one can take years for somebody to, to actually be able to start to truly grieve. There's many processes of like denial and change and things through grief, which are, are quite complex. And uh, as any psychologist or grief counsellor will tell you, the, the, these can be um, uh, traumatic and, and, and kind of scattered as well. So the grief from PCS, well, how do we see that happening or acting in our lives? Well, if, if you think about the course of two to three months out, well, here in the UK, we say that, well, yeah, you're never more than maybe three or four paychecks away from being homeless or being uh, out on the street or so on. Uh, and in fact, that, that can actually be true. If you're in the lower classes or the lower middle classes, or even sometimes the, the middle classes, uh, you, you are going to be literally paying your rent, your bills, everything else, food. Uh, if you've got family, if you've got children, then you can be that far away from being re, uh, at best rehoused in, into kind of social housing or um, actually becoming homeless or having to go and live with family or, or, or even worse. Uh, now, a lot of people may listen to this and say, well, oh, no, that, that's, that's, not, that's not true, that's not right. But, uh, yeah, unfortunately it is. Um, if you're very privileged, if your family has money or they, they're willing to support you or you live in a, a rich or an upper middle class or uh, an upper class area, uh, and this is the same in any country, then you may well get the support and help that you need uh, and private health care. You may have health care insurance for your work if you have a good job and so on. Uh, but there is definitely a, a big, still a big class split and divide in the UK. And uh, I would challenge anybody that says there is no class system in this country and that there is no class divide, uh, you know, put your money where your mouth is and, uh, you know, come down here and, and look at the people that are suffering uh, with these type of issues that are uh, living hand-to-mouth day-to-day. Um, but then again, those people probably wouldn't want to do that. 
So, back to the subject, grief. The grief is uh, something that happens distinctly over months. So I remember for myself, uh, coming from a point of where I had a, a, a decent career, I was able and articulate to do many different types of work and things and to reason and to, to kind of survive off of my own wits and, and my own skill and experience. I'd had years in retail and, and sales and all kinds of things. And then you get to a point where actually your brain clogs up, whether it's through excessive medication, a worry and stress and grief about the process of trying to get medical help uh, for your post-concussion syndrome, whereas I couldn't. I simply got a diagnosis and that was it. It was cut off and then just left adrift for years and end. Whereas other people, even if they do get the help, even if they do get to see a neurologist or a specialist and so on, that person or those people may not give them what they need in order to heal. And that is a very, very rare thing. Uh, in fact, I've, I've, I don't think I've ever met anybody or heard from anybody uh, in this country which is who said, well... The National Health Service helped me heal. Um, if you're out there listening to this and, and you have a, a great success story, then please get in touch with me and, and, and let me know as well. Uh, but in terms of grief, it then comes down to, well, what are you going to lose? Because there's always a process of loss or things which are ripped away from you, um, which can be unavoidable. So it's like a death of sorts within your life. So for me, it was like, well, I got taken away from what I was doing. It wasn't, at the time, it wasn't particularly an enjoyable job, but it was one I, I could be successful and be reasonably good at. But then I was ripped away from that and put in a, 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 a remediatory role, uh, kind of like, you know, kind of um, basic role. And from there, that has a knock-on effect on self-esteem. So what you'll find is basically it's like uh, dominoes. It will start with you, yourself, your own emotions and your feelings of grief. And that will lead to uh, a knock-on effect with your friendships, your family relationships, even your own personal uh, in internal family relationships, your own family, uh, partner, children and so on. Uh, and then the wider world, uh, and that just uh, before you know it, it's like one of those big domino displays you'd see in these these shows and things that they do, where it just kind of goes out on all different levels and just different branches off everywhere. And before you know it, you know you got the fireworks going off at the end. Um, so it can be many months before the grieving process actually uh, ferments. And I'm going to use the word ferments because I think that that fermentation is a point where you see uh, the dominoes of your life. You see all of it flowing down and flowing away from you uh, and kind of like there's, there's no way to put them all back up. Uh, but at some point at the end where, you know, you kind of get that, that mark that will actually, oh, yeah, now things look very different. Then you're left to try and recover from the grief you're left to try and recover from the loss that you've had so you may have lost your physicality you may have lost your uh, emotionality emotional ability is common with pcs you may have lost your sexuality you may may not be able to um 
to be intimate or to be uh, emotionally intimate or physically intimate, you may have, have found that you, you've lost a desire for that as well, your libido and so on. You may find that, you know, you, your kind of attention span, your uh, concentration, your coordination, everything else. So if you have a family and children, you may be like struggling to keep up with what the children, you know, children are saying to you and, and to have that beautiful communication as you should do with your children to talk to them about what they're interested in. As, as we know, the key is with children, what if they're only like, you know, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight years old, the only way you're going to communicate with them is on talk, talking on a level about things that they're interested in. And then you may well back up into yourself and lose that uh, kind of communication. PCS can do that to you quite readily, quite rapidly as well. So, yeah, there's many, many different factors, many different levels here. So, uh, I guess, for me personally, the grief process, uh, the grieving process, actually took several years. I know that sounds harsh, but I, I had, I had uh, through that process, I had about four mild traumatic brain injuries. And it had to get past the level of deep depression and kind of hopelessness at that point after the third uh, concussion, uh, where it was like, well, you know, this is deep depression. I'm really kind of losing losing the battle here, really struggling, and I'm taking a lot of medications and things, and I, I feel like, well, there's a, a dark fog, a, you know, kind of heavy fog descending on me, and it, it's it's not helping me. Following that, there was then a kind of a liberation in many ways of losing everything and being out, being homeless and kind of not having anything left. So in a way that acted as a way to kind of alleviate some of the grief. Uh, in some ways, it, it extenuated and, and kind of heightened other types of grief, which was isolation. So isolation and disassociation are, are next steps in the process as far as I'm concerned. Um, so the isolation was then that well actually um, yeah after all that kind of two or three years of grieving and losing things losing your home losing your job and so on wh where are you left if you're in a place where you may have some contacts and friends and, and people left but they may not necessarily be in the kind of the right types of friends and, and people that you actually truly need in order to heal so then you're left with a dichotomy a problem uh, in my opinion, of, of how, do you, how do you go past that. And that can then take an, a, a little while longer as well. There can be the sense that, well, actually, you're not going to get the new information you need in order to, to finish the grieving process until your brain starts to heal. Uh, and so it, it, I know it's very different for everybody, but um, there, are, there are common themes throughout this grieving process and isolation, detachment, disassociation and all, all of these things are all linked together uh, and they all they're all kind of like uh, kind of common friends in, in this journey so what were the main things that helped me to heal from my my own personal grief and what are the things that have helped other people heal well we heard in the recent interviews like uh, the likes of Laurie and Katie uh, and Nid as well that it was at a point where um, they had a lot of support and help uh, and understanding from people uh, around them and yeah similarly with me when I found a way uh, 
get back into the world, there was always um, a place where that that grieving process can be can be reduced down when you feel like you've got a way forwards. So I actively got involved in different projects creatively, uh, writing projects, creative writing, journalism, different things too. So there's always got to be a point where uh, through the grief, you then find a new purpose. Now this new purpose is the next thing to talk about because obviously you, you, you've come through all of that, you, you, your own character, your own self, sense of self being reduced down to almost nothing. And then, of course, you have to build yourself back up again in some other way. So we always say in the groups that, well, you become a composite. The composite of your old self or some parts of your old self pre-brain injury before and the things which you're going to get into after the grieving period. So there's this gap in the middle. But those two composites together then become a new basis for yourself, your new self going forwards. Now, a lot of people may not like that. They may not be as enamoured with the, the different the changes within yourself. They're definitely, unless they're very, very special, they're not going to understand that either. They're not going to uh, know exactly what you've been through or, or how you've come to these conclusions yourself. Because not having experienced a brain injury or concussion, and not having been through PCS, they will naturally not be able to get it, you know. And and that is a fact for any type of uh, kind of uh, circumstance with chronic illness or, or injury. So, where to go from there? Well, there is a point where you will shed old associations and old friends and people, sometimes forever, sometimes only for a while, for months or years later, until your own brain can recover and, and regenerate yourself, until you're able to, to, to rejuvenate connections as well. And so you shouldn't be too tough on yourself at this point. So maybe you're three, four years out, you shouldn't be too harsh on yourself. You shouldn't really try to be too judgmental. Because as I found out, being too judgmental can then lead to even more serious problems because if you are judging yourself and thinking well all these people don't want me anymore they don't need me anymore then they're not interested they're not kind of connected to me whatever then that can lead to some some darker behavior it can lead to some critical self-judgment which leads in turn to either addictive or or, or or self-abusive ways that you kind of like have to justify yourself to yourself but you don't want to do that so please take play, please take it into into your mind that you know you have to be very very humbly forgiving of yourself. So you're three or four years out, or whatever your time is, you're going to start uh, recovering from the grieving process, and you've got to make new connections. Just as your brain rewires itself for neuroplasticity and everything else, you've then got to start going ahead. Now. Um, the disassociative factor or disassociation with brain injury is another massive thing that was mentioned before. Um, and this can be where you, you just kind of like phase out. So you might well be in a new, a new part of recovery or, you know, going forward to new places with new people. So that, that the danger's not over yet. It's not finally uh, settled or kind of like uh, past the point where you can still 
potentially mess up again in your eyes. So you've got to think about, well, if I'm with somebody new or I've got into a new relationship, a new friendship or an association or whatever, the points where uh, people are going to look at me and think, well, you know, if I kind of like disassociate and phase out or um, I start, my brain starts kind of, like we say, brain starts farting all over the place and, you know, kind of saying things that it shouldn't or, you know, kind of saying things that are too frank or too forthright or way too honest then, uh, you know, people are going to take a good long look at us and think, well, what's wrong with this person? And so you then have to think very carefully. Um, and you can use it as a point to explain to people, well, actually, you know, I'm really, I'm really sorry I said that. I, di I didn't mean to, to be so uh, kind of too forthright or whatever. But the reason is because I've had a brain injury and I, I didn't recover like other people recovered. And I'm really sorry, but, you know, if I do that in future, it's not nothing personal. I'm not trying to harm you or anybody. It's just that sometimes my brain disengages and uh, disassociates or I have these kind of brain farts, so to speak, and, and they kind of come out and, you know, they stink a bit. So you then look at disassociation. You, you can try and uh, humorize it a little bit or you can try and make it uh, easier uh, to talk about to other people and by doing so you, yeah you can you can create great awareness uh, but you have to be willing enough to do that you have to be frank and humble enough to do that and and to be able to apologize and say well you know I'm sorry I, I didn't mean to be so uh, kind of strong worded um, and then of course if you're dealing with pain on top of this, if you're still dealing with some aspects of physical pain and things as well, there may well then be the medical uh, aspect involved, painkillers, different things and other medications that, that, that can have an influence on the situation. And if anybody that's still kind of stuck in uh, taking opiates, opioids, uh, in order to deal with pain, that's an epidemic that's kind of getting far, far worse on, well, in most of the major continents, not just in USA and UK, but in Australia and other places as well. Uh, there's a, a, a great kind of pushing of opiates and opiate painkillers on people with brain injury in order to help them uh, just, just push the symptom of pain and things aside. And there's no real offer of, of help, although in some parts of USA, and other countries, uh, cannabis oil, CBD oil, illegal, and things are some, a few places, a very few places are given a prescription. But those people are probably very lucky. They can escape the opiate kind of psych, opiate uh, medication cycle. Uh, I myself was given opiates for, for I think, oh, the best part of nearly 10 years. And coming off them was just like the best thing I'd ever done. I learned to make natural medicine and use nature to harness for pain. And to an extent, feeling pain, from my own experience, isn't the worst thing that you can do. But the more you, you learn to accept the pain in, uh, like an angry neighbour or somebody, where you, know, you accept it in and go, well, you know, let's just not fight anymore. Come in and talk to me. Let's have a cup of tea or, you know, whatever, and talk about the, the, your pain and what you've got to say in that. Then, then you get to the point where you can think, well, 
is, is it something in my life? Is, is there issues trapped from the past? What, what is it's going to happen? So you can't just always nuke or blast the pain away forever um, because at the end of the day, you're going to have to make peace with it at some point. That's my own personal opinion. Uh, so grief and disassociation, anger, depression, anxiety, pain. Yeah, they're all very, very um, kind of close neighbours of each other, I think. And um, ones that people just don't usually want to talk about. In terms of depression, well, to do with the past. The past is where depression lives. And it's like, well, judging yourself for everything you might have done last week, last month, last year, at the time of your injury, after your injury, before your injury, that last relationship, that person that pissed you off and, and kind of like messed you over, you know, screwed you over. There may be, well, you know, that doctor that didn't help you, that nurse that didn't help you, uh, that person that, that kind of, the insurance company that didn't help you. There's just so many people. And it, it, it's, it's kind of like, it leads you everywhere, but to thinking about responsibility and how... You, you you should take responsibility for uh, things yourself. I know that sounds harsh, but uh, you, you have to have responsibility for your own healing. Um, yeah, you might have your, you know, kind of well-paid medical insurance. You might have this doctor, that doctor, and so on as well. But at the end of the day, only you can decide what a person, what, what's going to happen in terms of your healing. What's going to happen in terms of your recovery? Recovery. So, what's going to happen in terms of your healing journey? You only other people will only decide that if you abdicate your responsibility and abdicate your decisions. And you can kind of say, "Well, oh, I'll, I'll, let, I'll let the doctors take decisions. I'll let the, the, the neurosurgeon, neuro neurologists, and so on take their decisions." But at the end of the day, it's all down to you. And. Um, you know, even if you've got all the money in the world and you get all these, all the private practitioners and helpers you want, at the end of the day, if there's something you don't agree with and you don't want, you have to be vocal. You have to speak up. Now, I personally had no money for treatment. I had no access to any neurologist, neuropsychologist, neuropharmacologist, no access to any specialist, anything. Here in the UK, I had no treatment, no visits to hospital, apart from, I think, twice when I was paralysed and had to have a CT scan. <coughs> and so, had no uh, actual choices as such. But then when I hear other people's stories, like recent interviews and, and so on, I hear that, well, people actually have, you know, see this doctor, this neurologist, who drive to this state and this place, and this other place, and so on, and they get to choose... Well, even then, it's still entirely up to you. Whether you have no choices like I had, or whether you have like a dozen different choices like other people have, um, it's still down to you. The empowerment for your own healing is still in your hands. So that depression tends to kick in when you are not in sight of this fact. 
in my opinion, if you're not in, in sight of the fact that your healing is in your hands, then uh, like with anything else in life, like a relationship, if you feel it's not uh, in your hands, say if your relationship is, say the per other person's abusive or they're lying or they're cheating on you, whatever, uh, and you go, oh, that's not in my hands because that person did that to me. Well, you're living in the past. And then therefore you become, you can become depressed. Whereas you can step out of it and say, well, you know, I'm, I'm taking responsibility. Whether that is to leave the situation or, or to go forward somewhere else, then that entirely uh, brings you into the now. And the now is the only time where you can recover. In terms of anxiety and the future, oh, what's going to happen to me? What, what, how is this medication making me feel like certain medications, acetylopram and other things, antidepressants uh, and tranquilizers will often cause a mass, a huge, naughty, horrible mass of anxiety and problems within, within yourself. You can feel it that there, sat like a, a, a dirty knot in your solar plexus or in your stomach or in your gut that you wake up in the morning it's churning round or you can't sleep and it's going round. And so, yeah, anxiety, if depression is the past, anxiety is the future or it's the fear of the future. And so that's where meditation, calmness, yoga, mindfulness, all, all the different things, relaxation come into play, diet, exercise, endorphins and, and dopamine from exercise, different things where you've got to allow your body to have the right flow of chemicals through your brain, through your body. It's always going to be harder after uh, a brain injury, uh, and that's where you've got to build up to things as well. But with anxiety, possibly the worst thing you can do, as I discovered, is to take an anti-anxiety medication. Because it's, it's kind of like, slowly pouring oil on a fire um you know it might douse it for a little bit for a while but you know it's going to kind of flare up fairly soon afterwards um it kind of like a fire you know in slow motion almost and so then you have to get around the whole issue of anxiety and Again, that leads us back to grief, not knowing your place in the world, where you're going to go, how you're going to get forwards. So we had this discussion the other day in a couple of interviews where I was saying, well, actually, um, the brain injury or, or the point of accident could become the most important part of somebody's life. Going forwards, it could become the most important part of the Dharma or the purpose in life, where you may have led a certain type of life up to one point, like I did, reasonably successful, you know, kind of quite settled and, you know, uh, materially okay. But then you get you get this accident, you get this injury, and it's like, poof, you're just like pushed out of the matrix world. You're pushed out beyond the boundaries of what is acceptable. You're almost kind of like a, a cracked or broken cog in the wheel. And so if you cracked or broken slightly, people tend to look at you a little bit different. Even if they don't always say it, they, they will kind of judge you a little bit. And they, they may not always say so. So you have to then think about that and think, well, you know, how can I go forwards? How can I um, deal with this now? Many things that happened on the journey, on the way forwards, and looking at the fact that often 
and for most people, a life-changing accident such as a mild traumatic brain injury or, or traumatic brain injury can be the catalyst in which you need to heal your own life. But also, as we've seen with, with some of the interviewees we've had, is to um, to change other people's lives through your own passion and learning, going back to school, learning about healing, learning about uh, people, finding your own sense of place and wisdom, uh, all of those things in order to help others who've been through similar. Because we all need each other on this journey. We really, really do. And if we don't find that, if we don't find that healing, then we're probably not looking in the right places, are we? Um, I found mine... I think within probably within the first kind of three or four years, uh, but at that time, 2006 to 2009-10, were extremely traumatic for me, and I had homelessness, had pleurisy, I had all kinds of uh, issues, uh, um, just losing everything, uh, and then getting to a place where I had somewhere to live. Only then did I find the other traumatic triggers, which which allowed me to look for the answers. So hopefully many of you will be much better placed to, to start looking much quicker. And so there is that, that thing uh, like Rupert Sheldrake talks about, uh, Rupert Sheldrake's uh, theory of morphic resonance. Um, well, that's actually beyond the scientific theory now because it's been proven in so many uh, lab trials and so many different experiments that um, as a species, any species... Once a certain number of us learn a certain trait or a trick or to do something, then it's automatically passed through the uh, photonic uh, resonance, morphic resonance to others. So, you know, in a certain part of the globe, a, a certain tribe or a certain person or a certain place, they may learn to do something a lot quicker than before. A bit like the uh, in Olympics or the athletics, where uh, you know, like the the first man to to uh, you know, kind of like run a mile in so many seconds or or complete a marathon in such such a time. After that first person broke that record, broke that barrier, then all the others start to do it so much quickly afterwards. And the same has been done in experiments uh, all over the world with different animals and humans as well. It's also called the hundredth monkey effect and, and different stuff where. Um, you know that um, it, it, it kind of it's encoded epigenetically into us and uh, that then spreads so hopefully through the course of our recovery jointly in the PCS awareness worldwide and, and other groups as well there will come a point where and I've seen this over the years where we automatically start to learn to heal in different ways because if I go back seven or eight years ago, um, there was just like constant daily debates in each group that, well, you know, well, uh, you, you know, you just need this, you just need that. And, you know, all, all these things, healing and kind of natural healing and things are, are no good. And, you know, you, they won't, you know, there's only one way to heal, that's through medications and so on. And then that slowly started to change. And then the debates around cannabis and other healing plants and things were, were brought up and, and they were resisted. And as the resistance kind of fell through the, the introduction of science and uh, evidence and so on, those then became accepted. And this goes on in waves and cycles. It continues to go on in waves and cycles. Um, and, and it will continue to go on. As you've heard in some of my podcasts, we've discussed 
many different things and some people may be shocked at what we've discussed uh, about um, you know different types of healing mushrooms MDMA kept mean different things but do you know what the, if they're used in the right way uh, and I'm not advocating the misuse in recre recreational ways I'm saying in the right way medicinally in a clinic in the right background the right circumstances and administered properly then they can be wonderful healing tools and the same for all types of holistic medicine. But you know what, folks? We don't live in that perfect world yet. And your John Q neurologist or your uh, insurance company or the pharmaceutical company that, that turns over a trillion dollars a year doesn't want to hear that yet. No. Until they can find a way to make money from those things, uh, because some of those do actually have patents uh, with drug companies, um, then you're not going to get any advances and until they can control it and make the money out of it then you're not but it is happening in some ways is is kind of slowly crawling along uh but it's happening underground as well you're not going to get uh, any real progression but when we do get that progression we're going to get a swing over into a new paradigm of healing and that's going to come along uh, quicker and quicker over the next kind of 10 15 years so for now, um, that's probably all I want to say. Um, a couple of messages that we've had, uh, well, two or three actually, we've had uh, just in the last few days. And I'm, I'm sorry I've not recorded more podcasts, if anybody's listened to this, but I've had uh, <coughs> uh, some problems with, like, oh, well, pleurisy, chest infection and things that have been, yeah, a, a bit rough. And uh, only, only like today again, I'm, I'm being able to kind of talk a little, a little bit, bit clearer as well. So uh, I've got some good natural medicine anyway that's, that's helped me. Natural antibiotics, colloidal silver and stuff and uh, uh, other things. <laughs> and that, that's really kind of brought me around a bit now. So I'm very grateful uh, for those. Um, so, but yeah, um, first message. Angela in uh, Australia says... Um, Particularly, she's interested in, uh, as she has ME, and she's had post-concussion syndrome as well, but um, but also uh, um, the, in the fatigue side, she's interested in uh, natural cures and asked about GC math and, and uh, other things as well. Um, well, I, I, I'll, I'll reply to you in a message as well there. Um, but of course, you need evidence, you need proof for these things. Um, so that that could be a discussion for a later date. Um, also, Brian, uh, who's in <coughs> South Africa, has come forward. Uh, he, he said, I moved to South Africa uh, about 16 years ago. Uh, I'd had a, a concussion uh, when I was in Oxford in England and I'd had a, a brain injury at that time uh, and never really recovered from it uh, but now I'm, I'm here he's, he's talking about being there in South Africa he's saying um, there's kind of a distinct lack of holistic uh, practitioners where he is I think he's near Durban uh, he said and um, there seem to be some stories in the news there about holistic practitioners uh, being disappeared or, or like dying in in mysterious circumstances um, so all I would say, Brian, is, um, well, yeah, 
Uh, it's not much different here in the UK, USA. Uh, there's, there's hundreds have disappeared in the USA that have just mysteriously died or been murdered or found dead. Um, and it seems very odd that they're all practicing um, natural means that don't go with the official line or the drug companies. So, yeah, it's interesting to hear that that, that is, is similar in South Africa. Uh, the final message uh, comes from Keith, who's in Wales. Uh, nice to hear from somebody else in the UK. Uh, and, and Keith's saying, well, um, he, he was very interested in the podcast we did about legal and illegal drugs. Um, he, he had injuries from 2009 to 2012, uh, and ended up, well, he, he's very brave to say this, he ended up kind of self-medicating himself uh, with quite a few different things. And uh, wants to say, well, once he did that, he'd gone through a different path. Um, and he'd seen one of his friends, who'd also had a much more severe head injury, uh, commit suicide. So that's, that's a real kind of terrible thing to hear. Um and and since then, it's really made him sit up and take notice of a different way of healing, he said, uh, Keith. And um, he, he'd also been to look into natural medicine himself and to work with natural medicine himself. So, yeah, thank you for the, those comments. Um, and for now, I'll leave you with these thoughts uh, that, yeah, truly, if you are going through the grieving process, anxiety and depression, pain disassociation, isolation with PCS, then just reach out, find somebody you can talk to, even if it is another complete stranger with PCS. You've got our groups on Facebook, which is Post-Concussion Syndrome Awareness Worldwide. Uh, look those groups up. Uh, you can get in touch with me, David Bottomley, directly on Facebook. On Twitter, uh, the handle is at Post-Concussion. And you can find us on uh, the blog at WordPress, which is uh, um, postconcussion syndrome awareness uk.wordpress.com. Um, and between those, yeah, you, you needn't be alone. Uh, people find us every day in those groups, and it, it never ceases to amaze me how how people just keep coming and just keep finding us, and it's just well they find such a reduction from the isolation from the problems in such a short space of time which is what VORP uh, virtual online recovery program that we run is all about it's non-judgmental it's non-commercial it's not set up as as well what people claim is a support group there's no such thing on, online on Facebook as a support group because there's no actual physical support there's only like words of encouragement or opinions and things, but you can't claim to run a support group without actually being physically, financially and emotionally present for somebody, in my opinion. You know, they all say, you know, that we're a support group, but um, it, it's only kind of like vocal support and social media. So, you know, we have to say that you can't actually claim to be that unless you've got financial batting, backing, you've got all the other types of backing and people in place to kind of help people. You know, that's, that's the kind of thing that Headway might do or other organisations where they've got charitable money to, to, to give to helping people. That That is real support. 
Um, anyway, that that's probably splitting hairs quite a bit. If you don't agree, get in touch and tell me why. <laughs> All right, so thank you very much again for listening. Um, we'll try and be back really soon. Uh, we've got some more interviewees uh, coming up. And hopefully they're going to just share all their amazing stories, all their wisdom, all their love and energy with us too. So thanks again, and uh, I look forward to speaking to you all again very, very soon. Goodbye for now. This is a very important disclaimer. In fact, it's not even a disclaimer. These are things that most sentient, intelligent reasonable people actually know. And what am I talking about? In fact, in well, with the podcasts that we're making, you have to be responsible. Myself, my guests and my podcasts are not here to give you medical advice. We are not paid professionals. So, as society and the woke community, community dictates, we're here to say to you, any information which we put out in the podcast, anything we give to you, is not construed or considered in any legal way or fashion whatsoever as medical advice. Any reasonable person knows that. But you're always going to get one or two or maybe a few hundred people that really are just as dumb as A, B, C, X, Y, Z. So, please... Do not take anything we say as medical advice or any other way. Please do your own research, your own uh, just due diligence into whatever we say. And if you need, if you feel you need, if you really, because you could really trust yourself, feel you need the help, trust yourself to get in touch with your local practitioner, general practitioner, doctor, specialist, or whomever, or your psychiatrist, or whoever you're dealing with through post-conquistic syndrome or any other health condition. And if I need to spell this out any more, just be really considerate and kind to yourself. And don't, please don't accept what we're saying as any kind of medical or legal or personal advice. I don't know how many other ways to say it, but I'm sure those of you who are intelligent enough will realise that, yeah, we don't give that kind of advice. And if you did want that kind of advice, you'd probably pay somebody that was really good at it to give give it to you in the first place. So don't worry about that. Uh, just enjoy the podcasts. And uh, this summit is 24 of them now, at least, and, and just, just really, really uh, have a, a wonderful time. And please get in touch if you need to. But don't worry about um, thinking that, you know, anything else. Just, just really, really enjoy what we're doing. And so much love and respect to you all. Thank you. <laughs>